we did the first chapter, and now we're going to do uh, the second chapter in Jonah. But I will, I will read, um, we'll read the last verse of the of the first chapter as well, because it kind of ties into our idea. And we saw that Jonah is one of the minor prophets. It's one of the twelve minor prophets, and it's a, really a book about God's mercy. And it's a it's a narrative which is unique for one of the prophets. And last week we saw that Jonah was given the word of God. He was given the word to go to Nineveh and preach against that city judgment so that they might repent. And Jonah got up and ran. He fled from the presence of the Lord. He fled from the face of the Lord. And he boarded a ship for Joppa. He went out to go to, he ran to Joppa, got on the ship, went down in the hole, just hid there, went out to Tarshish, the other side of the world. He's running away. And then we see God pursues him. God chases him down. He chases him down first with a storm. Then he chases him down with the words of the captain, repeating what Jonah's commission was. And then the lots cast by the sailors expose Jonah to be the cause of this storm. So we see the Lord pursues Jonah. And then we saw the irony in, in the tale of, of Jonah, the, the, the man of God who's not fearing God, but the sailors are fearing God. Jonah, the one who wants to throw him, wants to be thrown overboard, cast into the sea and drown. The, the, the sailors fear God, and so they don't want to kill him. And they, they pray to God, and Jonah wouldn't pray to God. We just saw that the really this downward slope, as it were. The whole chapter was a downward slope, and we end with Jonah in the ocean, uh, essentially drowning. He's, he's, he's cast into this, this sea, and we left him there. And we didn't really spend much time after that. And now we move to really this... this it, that All that was a series of events. And now we kind of focus in on one moment. Time slows down now. And it's going to be Jonah's heart and his prayer... And it's bracketed by two statements about the about the great fish. But the focus is really on this this poem, this song of thanksgiving. And it's really uh, an, an ornate poem. You can hear aquatic, dramatic language of water. And it's really, one scholar, uh, Brian Estelle said, from being, Far from being a hodgepodge of images, the poem itself is a stylized hymn of individual thanksgiving, demonstrating the highest level of artistic achievement. It's a beautiful piece of poetry. And it has all these powerful images, and we're going to see that it's really a prayer and a song of thanksgiving. This is well, I will, this is God's word. We'll read from Jonah chapter 1, starting at verse 17 through chapter 2. This is the word of the Lord. But the Lord provided a great fish, to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. 
To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Let us pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word that you give to us. Thank you for your scriptures. We pray that you would illuminate them now, that you would uh, see Jonah and his heart and his, his, his horrible situation, but his repentance. May we see that salvation comes from the Lord. May we do that by this power of your spirit. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I grew up in Southern California, which meant that in summertime, I regularly went to the beach. Now, I didn't surf, but I did do my fair share of, of bodyboarding and body surfing and been out in the waves a lot. And I remember one occasion when I, when I went out, and I was probably just old enough to start to really be out on my own, but not quite a full-grown man to be strong enough to, to deal with everything. And I remember going out there, and I don't know if you know, waves come in sets. The series of waves will come in, and they'll be still for a little bit, and then there'll be a, a series of waves again. And I, I didn't really realize that as much as I should have, and the water was really still, and the waves were way out there. So I, I went farther out than I probably should have, and the rip current was, was there. You could feel the kind of tugging on your legs, just kind of slowly drawing you out farther. And I remember... I, all of a sudden there's this huge wave and I knew that there was no possible way I could catch this type of wave so I just jumped underneath and then this, the wave just crashed and I just felt my whole body just flail and spin every direction and then and then you kind of reach out because you can't even figure out where the ground is because you've spun so many times and you kind of get back up and I came back up got a quick breath and I realized oh there's another wave of the same size and it pummeled me again and then it and then I got up just long enough to get another breath before another wave hit me. And then the, the, the waves came through and the set made it through. And then after that, it got still. And I remember going back into that dry land and just feeling exhausted and weak and powerless. I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that, but that's sort of what Jonah is getting at, only it's a hundred times worse because he's in a supernatural storm in the ocean and there's no land near near. And really, we're going to look at Jonah's hopeless predicament, the hopeless predicament he's in, but then his desperate plea, and then finally, God's saving plan. So it's, it's really moving from his hopeless predicament, death, to, to, a, to a, a desperate plea, this repentance, and then God's saving plan, life, from death to repentance to life. And, and this whole poem, while we move through it, you must remember, centers on, I think, the last line. That is, salvation comes from the Lord. The whole, that, is, that is the theme of this passage. And each of these ideas must be understood in light of that. That salvation belongs to our God. 
And we see Jonah's language here as he starts to explain what it was like to be alone in the open sea. That would have been quite an experience. And he uses dramatic poetic images to really give this. And, and the poem is not, is not completely chronological. He kind of opens up with God answering, even though he's still going to talk about his problems later, because it's just the way the poem is structured. It's not meant to be a storyline, but it's really a, a, a cyclical view of looking at it. And as we see that he calls out in distress in verse 2. And we're going to look at this hopeless predicament first by, by really looking at Jonah's encounter with a powerful enemy and then Jonah feeling like he's a dead man. Now, and the reason I take these two ideas is because when we think of poetry, a lot of time allusions are made to cultural references. If you, if you start having to read poetry, as soon as they start explaining it to you in class, you have to explain all Greek mythology. Because half the poems just are referencing uh, Greek mythology or making references, allusions to the Bible. If you're not, even if you're not a Christian, but if you're not biblically literate and you start reading poetry, some of the classics, you're not going to know what's going on just because they're making allusions to Scripture. And there's a lot of allusions. And I think there's two allusions here to ancient Near Eastern thought. They go completely past us that we don't quite realize. And that is first, Jonah encounters this powerful enemy here. And that is the deep. You see where Jonah is thrown? It says twice, the deep. He is thrown into the deep. He is hurled into the deep in verse 3. In verse 5, the deep surrounded me. Now, not every time the word the deep is used in, in, in the Old Testament is it, is it signifying this idea. But this word here is really this a specific idea. And in the ancient Near Eastern mindset, the world was oftentimes visualized as, as a disc floating on these waters. And they were these, these, these chaotic, ancient primeval waters they were and and out of that was really where creation came out of two of the ancient near eastern myths have create have an, a god fighting with the deep these waters and there's this epic struggle between the two and really that's kind of the image that's being given to us in genesis 1 2 when it says the spirit of the waters hovers over the deep it's a reference to that 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 allusion to the deep and I think we kind of um, might think of it almost the way we talk about space. Sometimes we view space as kind of this mysterious, spiritual, almost mystic sense to it. But it's also untamable and unknown and overpowering. But yet we almost kind of have this idea that everything just came out of space and it's, it's the thing that holds everything. And that's how they viewed the deep. It was this area where everything was came out of. And it's referenced in, in, in Job several times when God gives all these illusions like, Job, did you put Orion's belt up there? Did you put these stars up there? Do you know where I store the rain? Do you know where my storehouses of the snow are? Have you been to the deep? And it's referenced three times in those chapters, the deep. And so we see that Jonah is caught in the deep. And there's currents swirling about him. He is helpless. And you even see this, engulfing waters threaten me, says verse 5. Seaweed wrapped around my head. This visual, vivid picture. The sea's tendrils have gripped him around the neck. He's trapped. He is helpless. And it's a helpless encounter with this dangerous force. That's what we want to see. But not only is he helpless, he's completely hopeless. And that is the second opponent he really fights is is that Jonas thought he was a dead man. He was hopelessly before Sheol. We see that in verse in verse two. From the depths of the grave. 
literally out of the belly of Sheol. Some of them translate Sheol, some of them translate grave. We see in the pit in verse 6, they all have these same images. Essentially, the idea is, is really that they pictured Sheol as this cavernous region below, this imprisonment. It is kind of the way we th- talk about the veil. If you cross the veil, it means you went to death. If you cross the river Styx, you've gone into death. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, from the belly of Sheol I called. It's not so much hell and heaven. It's not two separate destinies. It's the one place everyone has to go through. Because they're all everyone's going to die. That's the grave. Almost the way we talk about the Grim Reaper. Jonah has met the Grim Reaper. And is in the presence of the Grim Reaper when he's pleading to God, help. And we see this again in verse 6. To the root of the mountains I sank, the earth beneath barred me in forever. The earth beneath. He thinks that he's been barred and chained in by death itself forever. Jonah assumes he's a dead man. As verse 7 says, my life was ebbing away. And we want to see that Jonah is completely helpless before the deep, and he's completely hopeless before Sheol. One scholar said this, The belly of Sheol implies a hopeless situation, for Jonah is not merely in the jaws of death, but in its entrails. He's in the belly of death. And as we we think about this, we remember that this is in the context of the poem's conclusion. Salvation comes from the Lord. And we want to see that God exposes the weakness of Jonah before he saves him. God unravels his life before he winds it all back together. And we want to see that salvation is for the feeble and the powerless and the hopeless and the weak. And we have to acknowledge that. We are that way, but sometimes we don't admit it. We have to recognize that we have failed and we can't succeed. That we are broken, but we can't repair ourselves. You have to admit you're a sinner before salvation is handed to you as it comes from the Lord. As Jesus said in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Some of you feel like Jonah swirling around in this world tossed back and forth by fads and by fears, helpless and hopeless. And that's where we need to be like Jonah and cry out to the Lord. And some of us need to realize that this is not Jonah's conversion. You realize that? It's not that this is Jonah's moment of regeneration here. He had already been saved, and yet he needed to be thrown in this miserable situation to get it again. And some of us need that. We need to be reminded that we are still helpless and still hopeless without Christ Jesus. That today, this day, you are helpless without Christ. Tomorrow, you are hopeless without Christ. In yourself, you are, you have no hope. And we need to be reminded that again and again. Because Jonah forgot. Do you forget that? You are helpless before this overwhelming force, sin, and this all-consuming force, death, there is no way to get away 
without turning to Christ. And that's that's that first idea. We need to see the hopelessness and helplessness of his predicament. But then he moves to really this 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 plea. You see what he does in this situation? In verse 2, I called to the Lord. I called for help. Verse 7, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you. What is Jonah's response to drowning, to being in a miserable situation? He turns to the Lord. He calls upon the name of the Lord. That doesn't just mean he spoke the Lord's name. To call upon the name of the Lord is to turn to him, to run to him. It really is to repent. That's what we want to see here. As a storm is flipping and churning and thrashing him about, Jonah thinks of the Lord and repents. And we want to see this repentance, really a couple things about it. Because remember, this is in the context of moving from death to the salvation is the Lord's. To repentance, we see that this repentance comes first out of humility. It calls for humility. Because Jonah's in, a, in, in distress. He's out of Sheol. The true repentance comes from a posture of humility. But also repentance calls for trust. True repentance calls for trust. We see that in Jonah's language. First, that Jonah acknowledges, one, the Lord's hand in his life. You hurled me into the deep, in verse 3. He doesn't blame it on the sailors. He knows that God is working. And so he's admitting that. God's providential care. And we also see, well, I think the other way we see his trust is, where is Jonah right now? Where is he when he's praying? He's, is, he, is he on dry land? No, he's in the belly of a whale. Few of us have enough trust that after we get out of the storm and we find ourselves in the belly of the whale to realize this is God's salvation to dry land. See, Jonah hasn't made it to dry land yet, but he knows the Lord is going to complete his salvation. And there we see his trust there, his trust in the Lord, his God. And we also see his trust in when, when he says in verse 4, I have banished you from my sight, or God is saying, I have been banished from your sight. But then, but then he says, but I know I will see the temple. He's been banished, but he knows he will see the temple. There's this trust here in his repentance that I know it's going to work out, even though right now I'm banished from your sight. And thus we see his trust there. So this, so this repentance calls for humility and it calls for trust, but then it calls for a commitment. Do you see his commitment in verse 9? This is a song of thanksgiving. I will sacrifice to you. I will fulfill my vows. He makes a commitment that the salvation God provides creates a thankful obedience there. There is a thankfulness there. That really we should understand that true repentance leads to true change. Now don't get me wrong, it doesn't create perfect change. It doesn't create perfect obedience. We just have to read the next two chapters and find out Jonah doesn't stay perfectly obedient throughout the rest of the book. But we see that this mercy begets gratitude. And that's part of repentance. And as as we try to understand this, I think there are helpful guidelines for us when we think about this idea of repentance. The repentance calls for humility and it calls for trust and it calls for commitment. And as we think about humility in our own repentance, we must realize that conviction of sin is the starting place. Conviction of sin is the starting place. 
we should have a lifetime of re-examining ourselves of our own sin. That's what repentance is, the lifestyle of continuing to be humbled and admit our faults, to come to God in distress, to come to God out of the belly of Sheol. And I think very often, we think we have to have a right to repent. We're, we're hesitant. We see sin, and we hide from it, or we ignore it, or we, we despair over it. Jonah was had no reason to come to God. He had no right to come to God. He had no spiritual capital he could bring to God and say, God, you know, I really should get some of this. He had no reason. He's just fled from the presence of the Lord. He spent days running from God's message. And then as soon as he gets in a terrible situation, he humbles himself and turns to God. And that's what we need to see. Do we pray to God, even when we're drowning in our own rebellion and sin? Because that's what Jonah did. We think of Hebrews 4.16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, we don't approach with confidence because we've, we, 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 we approach the throne of confidence because we need mercy and grace. You see that? We approach the throne of confidence because we need mercy and grace, which means we're miserable sinners. And that's the starting point of repentance, humility. But then the second idea of trust and commitment, we must realize that when we repent, we are, we are expressing our faith to God. We are expressing our faith to God. That faith and repentance fit together. And, and repentance, like faith, looks outward. It doesn't look inward. It looks outward. And that is really important. And that's what that, that trust and really that last idea of commitment fits into. That we look outward as we repent. It leads to a newness of life, repentance. And it should in our hearts. And the reason this is important that repentance re- leads to a newness of life is not to see if you repented good enough, if you earned your repentance, to see if it was real. But really, it's this idea. It's to avoid the the idea that repentance is a spiral of morbid self-reflection. That is not repentance is not a spiral of looking inward on ourselves and self-reflecting about our own conviction of sin. Repentance is seeing that sin, that humility, and then turning and trusting and committing ourselves to the Lord our God. And that is a huge mistake we often make in repentance, that we continue to cycle back to it, thinking that we will repent enough to earn that repentance, rather than as soon as we see the wickedness, spinning ourselves over to Christ and looking to Him. That's what Jonah did. He, he cried to the Lord out of, when he's drowning in his own sin. That's, that's really repentance. And let us pray and strive after and stir after this type of repentance. And as we, I think a helpful summary of repentance comes from the Westminster Larger Catechism's question about repentance. It says, true repentance is a grace fashioned in the heart of a sinner by the Spirit and Word of God. Isn't that great? It's a grace that God gives us and it's worked by the Spirit. Let's, let us stir up that grace of God in our life. Let us have a lifestyle of humbly, desperately pleading to God for salvation.
We don't get over that. We don't get over that. We continue to need it. So we've seen that Jonah's in this hopeless predicament. And then he has this desperate plea for repentance. But then we see the wonder and the salvation, God's saving plan. And what's God's plan of salvation? How does Jonah get delivered? It's great. God answers him very specifically with a fish, with a great fish. That's what verse 17 says. God saved Jonah by a fish. And that's important that the fish is not penance. It's not punishment. It is his salvation. And as soon as I say the great fish, you all go back to Sunday school and you have all these questions like, Man, what is this great fish? Is this a whale? What, how is this possible? How does this work? And, and I think we want to simply say it is a miracle. But we also see that it says in verse 17, God appointed, God arranged, one translation puts it, God provided this fish. It was part of God's providential plan of salvation. And God did it. It was a miracle of some kind. And, and we really have to take the advice of Sinclair Ferguson when he says, too much discussion about the great fish can divert us from the real issue. The narrative is not really about the fish at all. Focus on the great fish and we may lose sight of the great God. You know, the fish is there as God's means of salvation. God is the one who provided it. And in verse 10, God spoke to the fish and he vomited it up. The fish doesn't do anything. He's just following orders. God is the one that we should be looking to the whole time. When we see the fish, we go, oh, this is God's fish. This is God working. This is God saving. And so we see God's answer is the fish. But also we see God's approach to his salvation. The fish is an unexpected way of saving, right? It's not what you would expect. He could have provided some driftwood to hold on to. He could have just taken him out of there. He could have provided another ship to scoop him back up. Why don't the sailors just get him back up after he repents? No, he has to go through the fish. It's the most unexpected way of being saved. The place where Jonah is safe is in the belly of a giant fish. Isn't that ironic? There's a little irony there, that that is his safe place. And I think what we want to see is that Jonah pleads and God answers with his plan of salvation. But Jonah didn't expect salvation to come this way. And neither do we sometimes. We don't expect the way God brings salvation in our lives. And neither does the world. I was listening yesterday to a like a, a podcast. There was a, a secular podcast, but it, it happened to have a story that happened to be about faith and about doubting this faith. And it was talking about the story of this person who was unsure if God existed, even though they'd been a Christian their whole life. And they decided to go on a three-week bike ride across the country, biking for 21 days. And they hoped, and they said, I want God to show himself to me. That's why I'm doing this. God, I have these doubts. God needs to show himself to me. And, and that's the same question and, 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 and accusation people bring today. God, why haven't you shown yourself to me? Why haven't you expressed yourself to me? We have these problems of evil. We have these problems of injustice. God, where is the justice? Well, you know what? The scriptures answers that and says, God has conquered sin and God has made a plan that he will bring justice on the last day. It's been resolved. But people don't expect it that way. People don't, don't look that way. That God has answered that question of, where is God? Well, he came in the form of a man. 
a man to save humanity. That's not what we expected. That's not what we want when we ask that question, God, where are you? We want, we want a miracle. We want lightning bolt to strike. We want something like that. And he says, no, I came, I came in the man, form of a man, in a specific place and time. And I've recorded it for all of humanity. That's how I'm answering your request for salvation. That problem of sin. That's how I'm resolving it. And he does that today, right? He still says, salvation comes where? It comes through the the preaching of the word and from from you and me sharing the gospel with people. That's not where they want that answer to come from. Isn't that the most unexpected way? People in the world ask, where is salvation? And, And it comes from you and me trying to talk to them. It's so simple. It's so unexpected. But that's the way God has orchestrated it. God offers salvation to his people through you and me speaking about Jesus right now. And that is as bizarre as as God sending this great fish. But that's the way he's worked it out. But God has acted. He's answered. And his approach is unexpected. But look at his attitude with me finally. God's attitude. We see this in verse 8. God saves through his his hesed. We see this in verse 8 where it says, Those who cling to worthless idols... Forget the grace that could be theirs. Some of those translate grace. Some put God's mercy. Some put steadfast love. Sometimes it's translated loving kindness. There's, it's this word hesed. It simply is God's covenantal faithfulness. His promise and his faithfulness to those promises, which are seen in his grace and his mercy, his love and his faithfulness. God saves through his faithfulness to his covenant, his promises. And that's what it's saying there. And Jonah admits the foolishness of turning away. That word abandon, forsake, or forget, is really a word that's used over and over in the scriptures to talk about Israel leaving the covenant, Israel turning their back. And guess what? Idols are a symbol of that. That's covenantal unfaithfulness. As Deuteronomy 29 says, when... uh, it predicts that, that the people will go into exile. And it says, well, why, why, why will they go into exile? And this will be the answer. This people abandoned, that is forsook, the same word, the covenant of the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the covenant he made with them when he brought them out of Egypt. They went off and worshipped other gods and bowed down to them. So this is a picture of forsaking God's hesed, his covenantal faithfulness, his covenantal steadfastness, the promises of God, and turning to worthless idols. Worthless idols. These are, these are idols of vacancy, of emptiness. The, 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 the word has an idea of vapor in it. These are vacant gods of vapor. They're nothing. They're a breath. You have two options. There are those who turn to these worthless idols... Or there's God's plan of covenantal salvation, his hesed, his grace. And that's God's attitude towards salvation. And I think we want to see that really this is saying there's one way of salvation. Salvation comes from the Lord only. And that's what he's saying. There's worthless idols and then there's the Lord. You have two options. And one is not going to work because it's a vapid empty, vacant. There's so many words of just negativeness. Worthless. They're useless. They're idols. And we see 
something really interesting here, and that, that is, where is God's grace and love found in the Mosaic Covenant? Where is the place a sinner can go and be reconciled to God? Receive this salvation. It's repeated twice in this poem. In verse 4 and verse 7, Jonah looks to the holy temple. He looks to the temple. That is the place where God's dwelling is. That is the place where the priests give the sacrifice. That is the place where the altar has a sacrifice continually, day in and day out for the people. In the Old Testament, that was the place to look for salvation. And so Jonah looks there. He looks to the temple to find the covenantal love and faithfulness and grace of God. But where do we look now? Where is our temple? Today, in the New Covenant, Jesus Christ is that temple. He said that. He says, I'm the temple. My body is the temple. Jesus is the one who says, I'm the high priest. He's the high priest for us, who gives us a perfect sacrifice himself, once and for all. He's the one who mediates to the presence of God now. He's the one who brings all those things. And so when we see salvation comes from the Lord, he's the only way. And it comes by looking to his temple, who is Christ Jesus now. It doesn't come any other way. And it comes through his covenantal grace and mercy to us. And we say, we come back to this idea that Jesus Christ is the way of salvation again and again because you and me for the last six days have seen movies, TV, and friends, people, and jobs, and music, and media that has told us that salvation comes from something else. Salvation comes from yourself. Salvation belongs to humanity. Salvation belongs to world peace. Salvation comes from your diligence and your skill and your education. Salvation comes from fame and glory. Salvation comes from pleasure. Salvation comes from a government. Salvation comes from you. If you will just reach out and grab it. That's what they say. If you will try hard enough, the American dream is that salvation comes from you. And ultimately, you must realize that those things will never satisfy. They will never satisfy. They will not bring peace. They will not bring deliverance. They will not bring salvation. And how does Jesus bring salvation? He does it by going into fish for three days and three nights. You see, this is, this is really, this historical, real narrative anticipates a fulfillment in Jesus Christ because he goes into the grave for three days and three nights to bring salvation. That Jonah is a type and he's a symbol that also points us to Christ Jesus. And Jesus himself referenced this event and said, I'm going to be doing that, but I'm actually going to be there. I'm going to go into the grave and return back. Jonah thought he was enchained by Sheol. I'm going to be enchained by Sheol. And then I'm going to break free of those chains. And that's what the gospel is. That's what salvation belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong anywhere else. And that is why we don't grieve without a hope. But we grieve knowing that the Lord has already done those things. He's already brought salvation. It belongs to the Lord. As O'Palmer Robertson said, 
All salvation comes from the Lord. No one else has descended into the abyss of hell for sinners, but Jesus Christ. Salvation comes from the Lord, and from the Lord alone. And we've seen this, that God humbly humbles Jonah as he listens to his, sends him into this helpless predicament. But then God hears Jonah as he pleads desperately for the Lord and repents. But then God heals Jonah, sending him the fish. And he ultimately heals us, sending us Christ to save us. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You can look nowhere else. Let's pray. God, our hope, our salvation comes from nothing else but the Lord Jesus. And I pray that you would cement that into our hearts today. So that this week when we go forward and we hear other news, other messages, other other gospel messages, other announcements of salvation, we would see that they are worthless idols. We would see that they are giving us lies and the truth of the scripture announces that salvation comes from the Lord and Him only. To forsake Him is to run after vacant, empty idols. Help us this week to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Work in our hearts now to to remove the idols in our own lives and to concentrate on the Lord Jesus and to see Him only, Father. To look to the cross. To look to Christ's going down into the grave and returning again for us see that as our salvation and for those who are wondering who haven't done that who haven't set their hope on Christ Jesus work now by your spirit may they see that that is their only hope Father we pray these things in Jesus name Amen